are now locked into Radio Juxtapose, the home of contemporary art and culture conversation. Coming up today. I just think if you want to put something out in the street, you got to have something to say. Do you know what I mean? Frankly, I'm, I'm sick of like images of people's faces, pictures of hands, animals. This is Radio Juxtapose. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Radio Juxtapose podcast. I'm not going to waffle on too much just now because I think we should get stuck straight into it because I know both myself and Evan are really excited for this episode. If you do enjoy what you hear, then make sure you let us know. Give us a like, a share, a follow, do all that stuff. Our guest today definitely doesn't need an introduction, but we'll give him one anyway. Without question, one of the biggest names in the contemporary art scene, his bold, arresting and often violent aesthetic is instantly recognisable. Whether you love it or hate it, you're guaranteed to feel something. Our guest today, Cleon Peterson. Myself and Evan stayed on after the interview for a wee chat about the summer 2020 Juxtapose magazine and what to expect inside. So make sure you stick around for that after. Here's Cleon. That sounds like the fakest fucking typing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's some real typing. It sounds like a fucking like cat on a keyboard. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Have you ever looked up if there's another Cleon Peterson in America that you can go find? I just talk to each other about your name. I mean, <laughs> exactly. what would what would you do? Just the first name is like enough, I think. There's some people like uh, there's some uh, baseball player from the New York Mets in like 1960 or something that everybody remembers named Cleon. A bunch of like Mormons out in Utah that they they're naming their kids Cleon too. So I have there's an Evan Preco who played high school football in the Seattle area, and the motherfucker takes up my Google images all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Doug Gillen get in touch with me on Twitter saying, I think I've got some of your mail someone keeps sending me. I was like, okay, thanks, man. It's funny that you said that about your name, though, because I was like trying to figure out where the origins of Cleon were earlier, and it's a Greek name. I was wondering if that's where your connection to like Greek vases came from. I don't think so. The only kind of Greek in me is like, uh, I've been to Greece and I've eating at Greek restaurants. But, um, <laughs> my name is Greek. That's about it. I, Do you know where, where that came from? Like when your parents were naming you? I think they were trying to, to figure something out that was like, uh, would work with Peterson, you know, because Peterson is such a boring name. So they were part of that uh, hippie generation. And um, Cleon maybe is, is, is what they came up with. We didn't even ask, like, where are you? I mean, where have you been for the last couple of months? Like, how, where are you? How are you doing? How is this shelter in place treating you? I mean, just the basics, really. I mean, I'm just staying at my house right now um, in Altadena in Los Angeles. And uh, I haven't, you know what, man? Like, to be honest, I'm like, I mean, it's terrible what is going on in the world and everything, but. I usually just hang out in my cave anyways, so now I've just got company, you know, with my family being home, so it's kind of nice, actually. So it's kind of one of those things where your schedule actually isn't that altered. No, I just don't have my assistants here working with me. I mean, in terms of being productive, I try to 
like I, I can draw, you know, like any time, you know. I mean, I started out drawing when it was raining outside, and this is just kind of the same thing, you know what I mean? You just can't go out, so. You know what, I always had these, like, fantasies, like, if I went back to jail, I think I could just sit in there and come up with, like, a great show, you know what I mean? Because I just have, like, all the time in the world to just work on that, and so I think that's that's what I'm going through right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not, like, incentivized to go to jail here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just saying, you know, like, uh, sometimes, like, you know, you get caught up in running around chasing your tail so much that you can't even get things done because you're so occupied with just, like, putting out little fires, you know, so. Was there any, like, did anything get canceled or anything get, like, postponed where you're like, you know what, actually, I could use this breather? Or are you kind of just working to something in the future anyway and it's, it, this is actually okay? I was going to do a show in London and that, and that got postponed. And I was... I was um, going to do a museum thing at Cranbrook where I went to school in Detroit, and that got Whoa. postponed too. That was supposed to be on May 15th. So oh, wow. Okay. That's, I guess that's just like how the world's going. And, and to be honest, I, I actually think it's good for me to take a break, you know what I mean, and not just be out there so much. So It's forced everyone into that position where they're resetting and just – realigning and kind of taking a different look at things i think it's the hardest for people that are that are like extroverts you know that need other people around them all the time i'm fine you know just sitting around the house but um the people my friends that need all the attention and stuff they're the ones that are like <laughs> panicking at home alone and you know what's weird is like i feel more connected to a lot of people actually right now because everybody has time you know because they're not out working and stuff so if i ever want to call somebody like they're there at home you know what i mean so like, <laughs> right. I are you somebody who obsesses with the news at all or do you kind of put your blinders on oh man i pay attention like i mean right now it seems like there's a lot of kind of redundancy in the news so i've been not watching it as much you know but i do pay attention to what's going on absolutely like when a long time ago when I was like a drug addict and on the streets and stuff and like running around, like I wasn't part of society, but now like that I'm getting older and stuff, I feel like interest in what's going on in the world. So I'm part of it. You know? Do you feel more interested over the last three or four years than maybe you were before because of the current um, political climate? Or do you feel that it's just a natural thing about growing up? It's probably a natural thing about growing up, but also, like, I mean, I was interested before, but it wasn't as dramatic as it is now, so it was a little bit, you know, like, you could probably check in once a week and, and figure out what's going on. Now, you kind of have to really pay attention because a lot of things are moving around, you know, all the time. I mean, during the Obama era and everything, I, th I, I was following the news and kind of what was going on in the Middle East and um, a, a lot of stuff that was going on in the United States and everything. And I felt like, um, I don't know. I had this weird like feeling inside that, um, a lot of topics that were kind of like, like the idea that we were in like a post-racial world and all of that stuff. Like, you know, like I just felt like, God, America is just, uh, and with the endless wars and stuff that we were in, I felt like we were kind of like not acknowledging what we were actually going through in a way, you know what I mean? And, uh, but now it's just so in your face, like all the craziness, you know, that it's like um, 
important to pay attention. Do you think that craziness comes as a response to the other side? If, if everything feels, you know, post-racial and that you're in this place, do you think the inevitable outcome of that is what you're seeing now where everything is constantly thrown at you and very, very much different? I think there's some kind of like revenge, revenging going on in society, you know what I mean? Right now, a lot of anger, a response to like the last eight years or the Obama years. A lot of people like that just have found themselves in a bad spot that need to have some kind of reason why they're in that spot. A lot of that kind of stuff, blaming and stuff. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a therapy session here because I've known you for a while and I feel like perhaps in the last couple of years, like your work felt like and even though you were talking about all these metaphorical injustices in the world with a lot of your your first kind of solo work, the stuff recently is feels a little bit more like you're taking actual like you're you're the metaphors are stripped and you actually have a villain and actual figures that you can use that we identify with as being uh, responsible for a lot of the world's kind of problems. Like was that a big change for you to kind of all of a sudden, use Trump as an image as opposed to like the characters you had been using before? Like, was that kind of a thing you're like, you know what? I actually, I can, I now have somebody I can use in my work. Like, was that a big change for you or did it just feel natural? Actually the blood and soil show that I was doing with the politics and what's, what was Trump was, was kind of pushing like to the American people and everything. Like I started feeling like, um, there was something going on in the world. Like that's where I transitioned transition from like the kind of historic um figures to the uh, more like in today's world figures and more authoritarian figures and stuff like that and uh during the election i guess i'd seen so much like demonization and racial stuff going on and like it it just started to like mirror what i i saw like going on in the with the rise of the Nazis and like other authoritarian stuff. I, I had this like general like angst about all of that and I wanted to make a show about it. And then I would kind of question myself and be like, why am I drawing these figures? And like, why do they relate to what's going on right now? And like, do they relate to what's going on right now? Um, or are they just a kind of generalized idea? Because uh, that blood and soil show had like like specificity. Like I try not to be like too specific, you know what I mean? Because I want people to be able to relate to it, and also I don't want it to look like I'm some kind of like uh, you know snowflake or something, you know? That's like part being uh, trolled, you know, and reacting, you know. I don't think anyone would ever call you a snowflake, but oh, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the game, bro. Right? Yeah, right? like is those guys kind of like try try to poke you and then get a reaction, you know? Right. And also like, okay, I was gonna go back into saying like, the one defining moment was when Erdogan came to the United States, and because I was drawing people like beating each other in the streets, dogs, images almost from the '60s, you know, like uh, right. that were coming into today's world, you know. And I thought, well, is this what's going on now, or is this part of what happened in the past, or like? And then when the Erdogan came. To the United States and his like thug dudes like beat up people in the streets. I was thinking like, no, like this is actually what's going on right now. And uh, and then the the Raleigh 
rallies that uh, Trump was throwing with like the ra- the racist rallies and everything. I was like, you know, at a certain point, like um, painting like generalities and everything can become more specific. Do you know what I mean? And actually yeah. relate to what's going on now. And I think uh, one big part of what I'm doing is like, okay, you could be way out in front of your skis. You know what I mean? Like the last thing you want to do is be making work like because it feels right but you're like a fucking nutcase and you're like listening to left-wing media and you're way out of front of your skis and you're insane you know what i mean and wrong at the same time but like so for me like i have to constantly remind myself like like i look back at that show that i did back then and i think like did was that stuff going on was it really happening or was i just like being hysterical and I think in the in, in as time has passed, I think like uh, a lot of the stuff that I was seeing back then that I was seeing with my gut and that I kind of had the courage, I think, because it was a big deal for me to actually put that stuff out there. Um, uh, prior to this, had you been directly referencing individuals before? Or was it more sort of open and of a time? No, because I, I, uh, I mean, in my past, past work, like when I did skateboards and everything, I was referencing real people. I hadn't ever kind of like crossed over into, because I didn't want it to be so specific. And I also didn't want it to be some kind of political cartooning. I wanted to have kind of overarching like classical uh and also like um evil sensibility was this like a conversation that you had to have with yourself about about making that jump yeah absolutely because the one thing i don't want to be is like a righteous warrior or some kind of like a person that's out there i don't know preaching to the choir or right um, right or like uh some kind of person that becomes co-opted by like um political messaging or something i wanted to like always keep it open you know i guess one of the things i've always curious about your some people that maybe follow you on instagram or write comments on your instagram post if they might have misinterpreted your older work and that the trump work shocked them like they didn't realize that you were on that team a little bit like were they did were you must have an interesting following that thought that perhaps maybe you were almost encouraging right-wing behavior. I, I, first off, I like to live in the world of kind of, um, that makes people basically instead of like, I, okay. The way that advertising speaks, I talked about this in a post a couple, I think maybe with this Trump thing or whatever, but you know, advertising tells people what to do, you know? And like, I think that like in the art world, you can kind of make people, look within themselves and kind of like find their own answers and stuff like that. So I like to be kind of like in that gray zone, you know what I mean? You know who uh, did unfollow me was (laughs) (laughs) Uh the head of the Proud Boys. And I don't know his name. He followed you? He was following Oh, shit. (laughs) Wait, what's that guy's name? Like Richard Spencer or something? Or is it Gavin McInnes? It's not Gavin, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you know what? I take pride. Like... Like, uh, today, do you know what I mean? Like, if I offend people, it's just about who you're offending and having those people be the right people to I think you are probably, like, I don't even think it's necessarily intentional, but I think you're definitely one of the most controversial artists that we've had. 
And when I was doing the research for this, I went down a path. I was opening websites I'd never thought I would look in before. These like right-wing uh, neo-Nazi journals. And you are... Your name pops up in a couple of these articles. I don't know if you've had a chance to read any of them. <laughs> I was wondering if you, first of all, if you had had a chance to 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 look into this, um, and if you have, maybe, can you comment on what might have where that sort of triggering moment came from? The the thing that started that stuff, I think, was when I worked with the Rothschilds, and um, because of course, like those guys are controversial i guess and there's a lot of conspiracy stuff and i don't even know who knows could you talk about that a little bit but uh I, I saw the name and i was like oh okay cool so we've got you know kind of uh a, a young artist teaming up with the rothschilds and i was like okay cool the rothschilds i've seen them in just about every single conspiracy theory <laughs> meme since i was you know 14 years old since it was pre-meme and I was just so curious as to how this kind of all came around. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more on it. Uh, I work with the Palais de Tokyo on these some projects, you know, like one was um, painting the Eiffel Tower. That was another one like underneath, you know, I painted this like image of this couple like uh, coming together. And like it was a basically a, a, a diversity union kind of image you know like black and white coming together like around this circle it had this like this so that was that and uh the the that was the first project i did with i know the second project i did with pali to tokyo and then the third project i did was the um a boat design for the rothschild and uh ariana and benjamin rothschild like um i guess hired me to like put this thing together and to decorate their their uh, trimaran it's called like is the it's one of those boats that sails around the world like uh with one single um captain or something and uh it's a pretty cool project it looked amazing from the photos it looked incredible doing a project like the eiffel tower and then doing a project like you know the boat for the rothschilds like i guess just um put me on the radar of like every i don't know <laughs> sweaty nazi in their <laughs> mom's basement cleon what is the what what do you think what is the like i mean as doug was saying like have you done research on it like what are they actually thinking that you're trying to say they'd say that i'm starting a, a race war with like <laughs> and i that i want to okay. kill all white people and that um i'm like a lot like they do like uh um like the jewish star on like the um eiffel tower so like it's all about offending the right people i guess do you know what i mean because if you're offending those people at least like you know you're on the right direction i'd be a bad journalist if i didn't ask are, are you trying to start a race war <laughs> i don't think so i mean not like yeah i mean they're, sorry these guys are crazy but you know it goes even crazier because like it was so funny because there's this one guy that likes was like cleon peterson his work is absolutely meaningless. And then he talked about, like on a video, a YouTube video, he talked about my work for a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> like, you gotta love this stuff. Was there ever, when when you were, like, let's say 2008, seven, kind of those early years, those early paintings started coming out, were you ever slightly curious how perhaps 
in America maybe, but like how other countries would start kind of taking your work? Like, was there ever like, oh, I wonder how this will play if I ever do a show in Shanghai, or I wonder how this will play if I do a show in Berlin? Like, was there ever any? Well, I mean, we did a mural in Poland, like right when uh, Ukraine was invaded by the Russians, you know? I mean, and like, and, and it's super interesting over there because pe- like people have different reads on this stuff everywhere, you know? But like one thing, they have a lot of uh, graffiti in Poland. Or like, it's not even graffiti. It's like just stuff that people have painted there because there was like this Polish resistance, you know, to the Nazis that they take pride in over there. And uh, so they do these like violent paintings of like wartime World War II like era stuff on the walls in, in, in Poland, you know? So like I had old ladies like walking down the street saying like, and this is right when Ukraine was invaded, like, you know, I understand what you're doing, you know what I mean? Because they live that kind of fighting, like, uh, you know, uh, conflict kind of life, you know, it's part of their history. So, um, in, and then in, uh, Asia, you know, I was always like, like say in Hong Kong or something, I'm like, do people even relate to this stuff over here, you know? Because, like, to me, up until, like, the, what's going on now with, like, um, the protests and everything, I felt like they had this... I mean, there's just a completely different, like, social kind of perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like, where on the West, I think we're all like really individualistic, you know, and they've got like this common good kind of thing going on over there, you know? And then also I didn't see like, uh, I mean, if you even look at the history of their art, uh, China and I don't know, like it's not individualistic and it's not like about kind of like do your song and dance kind of thing. It kind of follows tradition and stuff, you know? So like, uh, I was just thinking, I don't know if they, if, uh, my stuff's right for over there. Do you know what I mean? When we were in Hong Kong together, you were painting those characters like in the little back alleys and there was all these like, you had just like one single figure or you had like little scenes, but they were like these small little things. And I was thinking about it recently that like that was really perfect for like the protests. Like those characters felt like they were like almost like a really good conversation about what was happening on the street there. I don't know if those pieces are still there, but I thought that kind of... That's where it started making sense in Hong Kong to me. I mean, it totally made sense to me because, like, look at what they're going through. They're, like, being taken over by China. And at the same time, like, I was like, where, why aren't people, like, saying anything? Do you know what I mean? Why isn't the public outraged? You know, why isn't the public voicing, like, the things that they're thinking about? And, and that's where the individualism thing comes in. I think, like, I was like, did, uh, you know, do, do, do the people here have a voice in the art? You know, and I now you see like, yes, you know, people are having a voice. Do you know what I mean? But maybe it was just like not at the it, it was just boiling up at that point, I guess. You know, Glenn, there was a really good tidbit from that trip that your paintings being delivered through the top floor window of the gallery in order to fit into the gallery. That was an amazing amazing setup yeah you always measure the door (laughs) like before you do a a show i still have the videos from that i gotta i gotta find those videos those are amazing doug they were they're they're carrying his big big canvases they couldn't fit it through the door so they're passing it through the second floor window of a big window that kind of opened up which gallery is this it was was that the early oti OTI, yeah 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 but it was funny because like they had 
measured the door, you know, but like there was like a, a um, air conditioning unit that fell underneath the door level. <laughs> so the so thing's going to be put in. <laughs> I wanted to go back and like just kind of like get a little bit more of a sense of your your story, your origin story as it was. So you're from Seattle originally, now based in LA. What was Seattle like during your sort of developing years? Because it's got a, it's got history. It's, you you would have been what just before the kind of the grunge scene kind of started evolving. I mean, to be honest, like we were skating back then, and like we didn't want to be part of anything that was like mainstream culture. So like we were into the rap music like during the grunge thing because like after they made all those shitty movies, like everybody and their mom started coming there with like weird dreadlocks and head things on. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Like, and I lived right in the neighborhood where all that shit was going on in the university district. Like, so there was like band posters all over the streets and everything. But like, but what what was it like for me? Like, I mean, I skateboarded, it rained all the time. So I stayed in and I drew and I was sick all the time. So I stayed in and I drew and like, uh, and I was like a weird kid because like, no, none of my other friends were making art well no i had a, another friend named zaram that was making art too and uh just maybe we were like the weird weird guys you know and then uh my grandfather was a poet and uh he hung out at this place called the burger master and my mom was a dancer and like uh so we were kind of around like artsy people you know and uh my grandpa down at the burger master uh there was this dude that hung out with uh, my grandpa named Jacob Lawrence that was like he was the I think he was the head of the painting department at the University of Washington and like super famous and a super famous painter yeah but super I mean this guy was good you know what I mean like so good you know and uh, he and his wife Gwen like were artists that we knew and like he I mean I don't know I just we were around a lot of artists but did you know that Jacob Lawrence at that point was like a famous African-American painter and kind of important? Or was it just like my grandpa's friend? No, because I was, I mean, even before, uh, like, I started, like, we hung out, uh, I was into art, you know? So, like, I was, and I, I used to look at the painters of, like, the 1980s, you know, like the Julian Schnabels and, like, I was into that stuff, you know what I mean? And uh, and since I was like 12 years old, you know what I mean? And so when I met Jacob, like, to be honest, like I didn't, I, I probably really didn't know how big of a deal he was, but I, at the time, I don't know that he was as big. Yeah, I, I think you might be right. I think he, he definitely had a resurgence when people realized that he was basically such a, I mean, he was doing that kind of, figurative history stuff that was pretty that when you look back on it feels so important to like labor movements and african-american experience so many things but um and his characters kind of had this like almost anonymous feel to him too not to go on a diatribe about jacob lawrence i love jacob lawrence so i the, the way that he makes art like he's telling a story do you know what i mean and like he's telling his story i've always loved narrative art you know what i mean and like he he made narrative art you know and like i think that after i think that for a long time after that narrative art has kind of been like it's 
They're figurative art, narrative art. It's not like, you know, at the top of the heap. So it, I think it's kind of like having a resurgence now a little bit. Was there a point at which, because like, if you're a young kid and you're out skating and you're surrounded by, you know, all this, all these creatives and all these artists and you're kind of, you're 13 years old and you want to do exactly the opposite of the experience that, you know, your parents have put in front of you. Was there a chance that you were just going to go off and become an accountant? Man, I got like, I mean, there was really no other option for me than to just do what I do. I dropped out of school the second day I went. So, and my parents, they, I mean, seriously, they were like uh, supportive of me and in doing art, you know what I mean? So like, they always supported me in doing that. They never had, they didn't have jobs themselves. So like, they weren't gonna tell me to go get a job like an accountant or something. You gotta understand that like Seattle back then didn't have like amazon.com. Like every single person I knew's mom sold like FEMO beads at the public market. You know what I mean? Like this was like, this is where like people from California that like went to like retire or like, you know what I mean? This is like, the hippies all somehow like came to my neighborhood and like set up shop there. This is a like hippie community. I was going to ask a stupid uh, European question. If I'm looking, if I'm looking at uh, where Seattle is on the on the west coast, are you like you're you're above where you are in San Francisco and then below Portland? No, it's above Portland. It's really close to Canada. Okay, so you're like the one down from Canada. That was good. That was good. My, my knowledge of the states is yeah, it's shaky. Hey, you Wait. just taught everybody in the United States where Seattle is. Yeah, so yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I took a bullet for you there, guys. You are a creative kid. You drop out of high school. You're kind of you're making art. You're skating. You are your brother is an artist at this point. Or how old's your brother compared to you? Older? No, my brother's two years younger than I am. Okay. I didn't start doing art till we moved down to San Diego when we were living together down there it, okay. he was probably that was like your after he because he was skateboarding in the early okay. times at some point i think you've told me this before maybe you've talked about it before but did you do like a cross-country trip out of seattle to new york wait was there something like that in your story i mean i went to college when i started when i was 15 then in, when i was 17 i went to pratt in new york um, and that was that was directly from jacob because jacob uh taught at pratt or he went to pratt Okay. So we were like, okay, what school should I go to? And they were like, Pratt. What was your what did your art look like then? Do you have anything still to this day that's like from those Pratt days? All that stuff is uh I only made like a, I didn't make a whole bunch of stuff at Pratt, but like everything that I have from like when I was a kid is at my mom's house. She has this like insane collection of like all these weird landscapes and flower paintings and like all this other stuff. And I was super crazy. Like I was make like when I was 15 i had a show with like 50 paintings oh is this the one in the church yeah yeah <laughs> wait so you were making co- colorful landscapes and flowers when you were 15 you know you're talking about pressure to be an accountant that was pressure from my mom to be a painter you know <laughs> there, was a, there was a distinct uh thing turning point in my artistic career was when when i was uh Right before I went back to, when I went to college, I was 15 and I was like the Doogie Hauser of art or something. <laughs> <laughs> they made like, um, they put my picture in the newspaper and stuff. 
you know, and then a gallery basically in like the arts district in Seattle said like, they were like, you, you should do some shows with us and we want to show these flower paintings. And, I, and this is when I had like my internal meltdown. I was like, okay, I can see how this is going. Like I do a flower painting show with these guys. And then for the rest of my life, I'm going to be this like 15 year old kid making these shitty flower paintings. Like time to change. You know what I mean? And that's when I like had complete meltdown and like, went off into my own zone, you know, trying to figure out who the fuck I was and what I should do, you know what I mean? Which is kind of what every 15, 16 year old naturally does anyway, but maybe this was a little different. Yeah, but I had a fucking crazy mom. So like, this is like, uh, I had to get away from her, you know what I mean? And that's where New York came in. Yeah, that's when I went to New York and found heroin. <laughs> Wait, so, yeah, that's it. That's interesting because you went to New York in like the mid 90s and you were probably... I mean, you were there at a different time. Like, it was a different vibe than it is now because New York feels a little bit more like a, like, doesn't feel as, I don't know. Uh, I think it was like 92 that I was in New York. Okay, so yeah, you were definitely there at a more, um, I would quote, edgy time for New York, I guess is a simple way of saying it. What did you find in New York that kind of... You just told us heroin. Well, I, and I definitely found it. Yeah, you found that. But like, what was there like an artistic community that you found immediately? Or were you like, you just were on your own? Oh, man. I mean, I hung out with like the kids at Pratt, you know what I mean? Which those guys were cool. Uh, but I was like, like right off the, out the gate. Like I'd already been like doing drugs and stuff in Seattle and hanging out on the streets all the time because we were skateboarding every night. Like, I mean, we were like unkept kids, you know what I mean? We were out every night till like two o'clock and stuff you know i got a ged that's how i got into those those uh colleges and they gave me a scholarship to go over there and i fucked it off twice so like what? a full scholarship sorry what's a ged it's a general equivalency diploma it's basically like graduating from high school but not really uh, going to high school like because we talk about skateboarding culture a lot but it's never i guess we've never kind of gone into that darker side of it that you're kind of talking about just now with, with like kind of pretty hard drugs I mean, we we talk about it from our position previously as kind of like this romantic place where you build a connection with the urban environment, which is, you know, nine times out of ten, how people become comfortable doing graffiti and street art and things like this. Was it just generally quite common in Seattle, in New York, that there would be a, a really kind of like a much darker side to this culture at the time? To skateboard culture? Yeah. I mean, skateboard, I don't know, man, like Seattle is skateboard culture and maybe it was just the people i was hanging out with like was pretty dark you know what i mean like it was all the the outcast kids that you know the the kids that didn't go to didn't go to high school you know what i mean they were all staying over at my house every night we were all doing drugs every night like we were all you know, like unkept kids, you know what I mean? Like people's, I mean, like my friend's moms were like drug addicts and like were single family. I mean, it, there's like people running around on the streets all the time and like, we were like a little gang, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And especially yeah. at that time in the, in the early 90s, I mean, that's when all the crack shit was going down. That's mm -hmm. when all the, uh, and we were all on the streets. I mean, you you skate on the streets in Chicago or New York, you know, or Seattle back then, and you, I mean, you were you were the outcast. I mean, like every day we'd hear people like uh, like 
people try to run us over with their cars and stuff or like calls calls fags or like that's like every day you know what i mean so did you did you leave seattle hoping to get away from that or did you go to new york thinking like i'm invincible i'm a young kid i'm gonna do what i want i mean i was just that was who i was i was skateboarding kid and then i was like trying to go and learn something about art at the same time but I didn't feel like I was invincible. I didn't feel like I was anything in New York. I mean, New York's a fucking okay. big place. Do you know what I mean? So. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. And when, you're, when you show up there when you're 17, it's like, what the fuck? How do I fit into this thing, man? It's crazy. Well, these things that you're talking about and like these various scenes that you were kind of part of, like from the Jacob Lawrence, like art, art historical thing to skate culture to drugs to then going to New York when you're 17, Pratt, like what scene do you think that you fit into like what what when you tell people like what what culture do you feel like is really what nurtured you the most oh man i don't know i just kind of floated around a little because i always because i do i do feel like there's it's hard to even classify you now it's like it's interesting because like you kind of have like your own you're like you kind of have your own little world outside of all these different art kind of movements yeah and i've always like uh, embraced that i think you know i don't want to be stuck anywhere do you know what i mean on that thread when did when did you start painting in the street because before you were painting and we haven't kind of gotten into where that came in after the skateboarding thing right i came back or after the after i kind of like failed out of school in new york i came back to seattle when i was a total drug addict and a bunch of my friends that were in the skate culture had turned into graffiti guys do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. they were graffiti artists, like just walking around on the streets and tagging and everything. And it wasn't my scene, do you know what I mean? But like I but the skateboard culture evolved it it's very parallel to the graffiti culture. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh when I went down to LA and I was like uh started making shows and stuff, you know, like kinship with the graffiti culture, you know? And uh some of my friends Real good friends are in there. And the first time I painted on the street, because it wasn't my idea, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't like, yo, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, like, capitalize off of the street art movement and I'm going to, like, you know, become famous off of this shit, you know what I mean? (laughs) Is that what other people were doing? (laughs) (laughs) But my friend Ratna was like, who was a fan of my paintings from when I did a show at New Image Art, was like, yo, Cleon come down and paint over at my place you know i want you to paint that exterior of my building and i was i was like oh yeah that sounds really cool because i love painting like i love the idea of like painting something in the public space you know what i mean so this is how like i painted something in the public space you know and because it was retina like i think um people kind of like associated it with graffiti you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and like those guys are my friends so like that's cool. You know what I mean? So you never necessarily took up the graffiti aspect of it? No, because I was in, I was just into other stuff. I guess it was just one of those things. If you're constantly exposed to it, I was wondering if it was necessarily like you, you didn't want to do it for a particular reason, but it was just like, cause you're, if you're doing art and you're around that all the time, I feel like there would have been. There's no hidden Cleon tag underneath the bridge somewhere in Seattle. There's, I did two drawings in Seattle, like, on, cause I, I like drawing stuff. I don't like writing stuff. I'm not a text-based mm. person. Do you know what I mean? And so, like, uh, I drew 
we used to skate in these garages and the police used to chase us out of there every day. And I drew a, a giant picture of a cop licking an ass, you know what I mean? Down in the, in that building. That was the first time I ever painted something like dramatic on the wall, you know, but I always like to make stuff that's kind of like something that like the audience would maybe hate or something. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> <laughs> so all right, I'm just going to ask it then. So why were so many people upset? when you said you didn't want to be part of street art? Oh, well, I actually, you know, like that thing that you're talking about, uh, Tristan Eaton's Instagram post, basically. We were going to layer that really, really cleverly. Exactly. So that nobody could figure out directly, but it's out there now. No, I'm glad you guys asked me about that because like his, uh, you know, like his uh, Instagram site or his Instagram page, isn't the place that I can go and like, uh, kind of defend myself. Do you know what I mean? And I actually wanted to just like, I mean, that was like a snippet of a, a long conversation that was framed in a way to like make an advertising campaign for himself basically. And, uh, the street art thing, I mean, that was me basically, trying to explain to him a decision that I made and uh, an opinion that I'd shared with the gallery that I work with. And he recontextualized it and then uh, created his own narrative to kind of like, you know, try to like cancel culture me or something, mm. but whatever, it's cool. How did you feel when that came out? Did you feel a little bit like, hang on this is taken out of context must have been quite hard not to automatically jump on instagram and then do 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 here's my counter post yeah but you, you, i mean you you got to understand that like uh he's got his audience do you know what i mean That's and i've a, got my audience for sure and they're completely right. different yeah. and right. uh i don't want to be the person out there that publicly is um capitalizing off of trying to like cause other people harm or something like that do you know what i mean and mm. and uh and so i didn't go there you know because like it's not you know people can think whatever they want you know what i mean and um i think that what i do you know it's not about like me grandstanding or like even and and frankly like i don't want to be part of that dialogue do you know what i mean like i don't mm -hmm. want to like uh like even uh validate it by um by playing into it do you know what i mean be the same thing if i fucking like went to the the nazi stuff and was like look this is wrong everybody knows it's wrong you know what i mean <laughs> I don't have to go on there and say it's wrong. Do you know what I mean? Did, and also, did you feel a little bit like if you started getting into these discussions with every single person on a comment stream, it sort of takes away from your work in general. Just it be, makes it makes you almost feel like you're it, it, it's just like you've always been like you don't you don't take a bunch of photos and post yourself like you're pretty you let your work do the talking and it felt like you were kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to do my thing, make my art. And that's that's my that's what I do. Yeah, and frankly, like, I mean, that's that's the case. And then also, like, you know, just if you talk about things in public, you automatically associate yourself with the things you're talking about. And I didn't want association with that. So I'd rather just ignore it, like, uh, and, you know, like, um, 
how do you feel about street art culture as a as a concept as a as where it is today you know i think there's really good street art and i think there's really shit street art and like and it's not like I think the one of the big problems is like the economics behind street art. Like people are basically trying to like up their real estate values and stuff, you know, by putting putting art on buildings. And and it's and it's it's a sad thing I think because like you got all these people in all these art programs that are graduating that want to be uh, want to have a voice, you know, and want to put stuff out there. And it's giving like just anybody a forum to put something on a building do you know what i mean which is like which is cool you know what i mean but like i think just the general i just think if you want to put something out in the street you got to have something to say do you know what i mean yeah frankly i'm i'm sick of like images of people's faces pictures of hands animals it's like there's a triteness that is um associated with with it because everybody's got access to it you know what i mean and um and it's not like you know just because and then everybody thinks that they should be equally like celebrated do you know what i mean so i don't know well i mean i think too it's like the some of the the reasons for public art being so amazing is is the actual conversation it has with people who live in the community and a lot of it now seems like it's just it just doesn't have that those conversations anymore. And that's kind of, I think, where a lot of people are, like, tired of it. But it's also super bad because, like, these real estate guys are, like, I'm going to up, like, the value of my place by paying somebody nothing to put a, put a picture on there. You know what I mean? And it, it's bad for, or I don't know, maybe it's good for everybody. Maybe it's bad for everybody. But, I mean, the interesting thing is it's not the artists that are financially gained. <laughs> At least, like, in terms of getting paid to do the stuff, do you know what I mean? I think people are, I mean, bored by it, so I think it will stop. You know? What What are, like, the art styles and people that you really enjoy these days? Like, what? who are the other artists that you look to and you, that kind of, like, got, make kind of make you go, you know what, I like what they're doing, this is the stuff that I'm really into right now. Like, can you give, like, a little insight on the, that kind of stuff? I mean, I've always loved Chris Johansson because I think he's, like... I think it's rare for people to actually let you inside of their brains and and to be be so descriptive about their thoughts, you know. And it's such mm -hmm. a human making. And uh, I think there's a real deepness. And I think there's, uh, you know, I I like uh, David Shrigley. I think he's fucking super smart, and um, I always enjoy looking at his stuff. I always wonder if David Shrigley ever does anything not funny and brilliant. Like it, every single thing he posts, you're just like, well, how did you come up with this? It's so good every time. I want to see a scrap heap. I just enjoy like that, you know, like he doesn't succumb to that idea that you always have to put some positive message out there. It's about like, um, you know, the viewer kind of trying to make sense of the world, like through positive and negative do you know what i mean and darkness i think it's important to kind of have all sides of i think it would be interesting to see his mom's garage i reckon there's a whole bunch of landscapes in there but that i guess that's a clean that's kind of interesting that you say that because i feel like that is um an honest way to treat your audience as well right that you can handle the the, the dark and the light and that you shouldn't be afraid that people can't handle a little bit of darkness 
and process it and understand what's going on. Like it feels like you have to have it 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 seems like not enough people want to have that conversation, but you seem to want to have that conversation, which is refreshing. Well, I went to I went to art fair in Los Angeles, like right before this COVID thing was happening and we've got all the politics going on and everything. And I was looking around and I was seeing like all of these like really modernist kind of color block paintings like and like circles and little lines and they're all beautiful and everything but at the same time i'm like is this a reflection of our culture it's absolutely a reflection of our culture but like is it a, is it a uh like it, in terms of art you know what i mean like what's the purpose do you know what i mean like uh like is it something to kind of ignore what's going on i mean when there's such dramatic things happening like politically and like throughout the world like is the function i mean and, and art could do many things do you know what i mean but like at the same time i feel like because of the marketplace in the art, art world like uh there's a tendency to make stuff that's gonna like hang above a couch or something like that or like re re uh work the bauhaus or something like that you know what i mean it's like and then also kind of ignore maybe doing stuff that is difficult because there's not a marketplace for it, you know, or an easy marketplace for it. So I try to, like, work the opposite way, you know. What was the last piece of art that really grabbed you then by the balls that kind of gave you that feeling that I think a lot of people will get from your work, you know, where they see that striking, either the violence or the the, the colors, you know, that red and black coming through. Um, when was the last time you felt something like that from something that wasn't your own work? You know, it's, you know, okay, I'll tell you something that I like that is both of those worlds together. The abstract and the sublime is uh, Mark Roscoe, his paintings, I think, because I think there's like uh, violence in those paintings. Mm -hmm. you know? So it doesn't have to be like a, a literal, you know, narrative, figurative, uh, you know, one-to-one -one kind of like thing you know what i mean but like something that makes me feel you know what i mean is uh and that also um i think acknowledges basically that's a good word because i, I think a lot of what i'm doing is trying to acknowledge like uh reality you know what i mean <laughs> well that's interesting because you i mean i assume you're walking around the freeze fair in la i assume that's what you were talking about yeah yeah, because I had this kind of some of the same feelings walking around because it felt like there wasn't enough stuff. There was some really good stuff and some stuff I didn't care for. But I think that is interesting about how you could walk through a fair and not know what year you're in or not know what era. And that feels really um, not safe to me. That feels really like um, that feels dangerous to art history. The art that I like is like the the work that like uh, represents the time that it's in do you know what i mean yeah like that's kind of how the, the history is going to be written right i mean and i think that the stuff that doesn't do that is going to fall away so it might look good on the wall but like it might not be around Does... I, I don't know i guess you can do you can work for different motives right money right. or like do you find um kind of like releasing these this imagery do you find it therapeutic do you think it helps you get to a better place internally yeah like um uh i think it is 
I'm trying to think of the word for that. There's a word for that, like uh, catharsis or something, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, mm-hmm. cathartic. Uh, and I think that's how I. I mean, usually, like I'll make art. Like anger is a prime motivator for me. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm kind of like. Um, you know, like there's things in the world that like kind of grab my attention and that I may, uh, that that I feel like have to be addressed. You know what I mean? And so that is kind of how it works in my world. You know, but at the same time, you know, like I don't want to be that. Uh, like I like I had written a little post on my Instagram thing about like um, you know like this work that I put out with the images of Trump and the virus and like the vote work like. I don't want to be one of those guys that goes out and tells people what to do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be that overt, you know, but like at the same time, like we're in such a dramatic crisis that I think that it's, um, it would be a waste of opportunity, like to not share some of my thoughts. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And, like, do you do you find that your disposition most of the time right now is anger, or do you feel that 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 catharsis it does actually happen for you? Like, do you feel like when you release these things, you're like, you know what, I'm speaking to an audience, I'm I'm getting my 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 thoughts out, or do you do you find yourself to be angry most of the time? I don't think of you as angry. That's why I'm kind of it's hard to process it i don't think i i think there's a right time to do everything do you know what i mean and yeah. like i don't i don't like like after this i'm not gonna go downstairs and beat my kids do you know what i mean <laughs> and uh <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah your kids seem very well adjusted they seem fine so i you know you must be happy dad like they're they're cool man they're super cool and like you know despite of me and exposing them to the world and every and you know like i think they're pretty well rounded you know so i can't remember what i what you asked oh i guess I, I guess i was just thinking like because you i guess this i mean this kind of all connects it's like i don't think of you as an angry person but some you know the work is definitely creates such a, a you know a strong emotion but it is interesting that you're a father too like you have to have, do you have these conversations with your kids about uh i mean i'm sure like you've had to go through this but talking about your work talking about the world like how how do you kind of get them involved in the world in a way, but also they see your paintings? Like, what are the conversations at home about? You know what? They'll ask me. I don't, like, uh, you know, pitch ideas to them or, like, <laughs> tell them how to think or anything. Like, if they have a question, like, uh, like uh, I'll just honestly answer it. Like, you know, my family, like, uh, you know, we'd always talk about uh, a dinner table or something and talk about what was going on, you know? And like, and, and I, I think that, uh, my parents, like, even when I was really young, gave me the respect, you know what I mean? To be able to handle different things in the world. You know what I mean? Cause I think that it's almost like an act of disrespect, you know, like kids can't, can't process shit. You know what I mean? Like if it's too, like how are kids, I mean, what do you think about like, how kids are going to process what's going on in the world right now. We're all stuck inside, you know what I mean? There's a virus <laughs> killing everybody, you know what I mean? Like, this yeah. is big stuff, right? So, like, right. like uh, you gotta, 
acknowledge what's really going on, basically. You know what I mean? And talk about it. That's the only way to deal with it. And, you know... From a kind of comfortable Western point, for a lot of people, this is kind of like, this is us now getting a chance to see what it's like for other people. It's not a pissing contest between you can't compare COVID to, you know, barrel bombs, but for so many other people, you know, there was a trauma, there was a shared trauma. And this is the closest thing that comfortable living people in the West have had access to that. We don't know necessarily what it's like to live through you know through a genocidal dictator we don't know what it's like to live through uh, a coup in latin america we don't know what it's like to be controlled by gangs in you know the democratic republic of congo so this this is the closest shared trauma in order to understand how we process that we just look at how everyone else is processing that yeah i think i mean it's a good like what's going on here is like really scary and I think there's negative things that are going like like but I I think it through solidarity and the idea of like us having empathy for one another, there's some good points that are happening right now, you know? Like I, I one of the interesting things that I heard somebody I think it was somebody that wrote for the New Yorker or the New York Times, I don't know the guy's name, but he said that if anything, like, you know, we basically shut down the economy of the entire world right now, you know? And uh, all of us are focusing on a common problem, you know? And he said, if we could take this, this, uh, what we're doing right now and the action that we're taking right now as a world and like apply it to climate change, like that's the kind of thing we need to do, you know? Because there's so many reasons why not to, you know, like there's so many excuses, you know what I mean? Like why we wouldn't like uh, confront climate change, you know, or we could never shut down the economy. We could never spend that much money. Like now this is a situation where we just shown that we can. You know what I mean? So does that mean in, in response to this that you may start bringing the pastels out and do some landscapes or something different? Like does, does ever, is, is there like any? I did. I, I mean, right before this thing went down, I did landscapes a whole bunch of landscapes actually they were based on like this uh german romanticism paintings like uh enlightenment paintings basically oh, wow. about the power of man and uh and like this kind of hubris that man has you know wait clan did you post that one where it was like the one small figure like looking out into the sky that was like kind of in the distance like this kind of beautiful yeah that's the one oh, i'm talking about I've that, got a bunch of those. that one is in particular i think is is one of your best works. I I love that. I love that work. It was so weird that it, I did that right before this thing happened because like now we're all dealing with this like isolation and almost this like this like coming to terms with ourselves. Do you know what I mean? And and that piece was about like okay, so I always paint violence, right? But what happens when violence is outside of us and it's bigger than us? And it's like, say, like the environment. Do you know what I mean? It's like something so big that our, our like kind of science I, the idea of like human uh, kind of like control can't handle. Do you know what I mean? And this is exactly that situation, this COVID thing. You know what I mean? Is that a direction that you would like to go into, continue to go into? I mean, yeah, I. I I did a bunch of paint of these paintings. I haven't put them out yet, but like um, uh, man's smallness and, and 
in contrast to the world, I guess. Where was your London show going to be, by the way? I, I meant to ask that earlier. We're wor like we're working on a place for it, but like we we're talking of, it still might happen actually, but we're we're still looking for the place. Like, are you getting yourself like? researching or doing anything else outside of the studio right now like because i i feel like even myself like i'm not getting as much time as i thought like i thought i was gonna be able to sit down and read a book or something just i have not picked up one book um are you is there anything kind of going on outside of the studio for you right now that's been kind of a, a blessing in disguise that we're kind of on this this moment this pause i mean i've been like uh making a new show right now that's like very different than anything that i've done before and it's on hysteria and uh, and in that, like, I've been, like, you know, I'm always, I, I listen to these, uh, the teaching company, um, like, basically the lectures, like, by college professors all the time. And I've, there's so many great ones on philosophy and thinking. The one that I've listened to lately that I love the most is this Understanding the Dark Side of Human Nature. I think that's a very good one. Does that, is it weird that you don't have your studio assistants with you? Do you find it like, is it kind of nice not to have people around right now? Like, is it, or are you, does it, was that kind of an adjustment too? Oh man, it gives me time to like kind of um, really concentrate on making this next show good because I'm not in this like constant stream of production, you know? Right. So it's having, because I have three guys that work for me and it's, it's, it's hard to be in front of everybody all the time. Do you know what I mean? In terms of timing, it's a lot. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So now, now it's like you, you kind of, it's like, okay, everybody's away. I can just focus on making the work. I don't have to have like a conversation with everybody all day. I don't have to be like the manager. You just do your thing. Yeah. Those guys are great. They, they kind of like manage themselves, but like, oh, um, I, uh, it's it's mostly like a, a good opportunity for me to kind of like slow down and really think about things and make like really specific come on like it's actually like a refinement of my ideas time basically can you give us an inkling how do you think this might uh post covid cleon might start to look i'm doing a show in november in uh la and that's it's gonna be completely different and something totally new i think um I've been studying like uh, political cartoons from the 20s, 30s, and um, and like uh, demonization, and uh, mix that in there a little bit with like the fall of Rome, that kind of stuff. Good talking to you. Guys. And you're you're coming after the climate change artist, so this is even it's great. It's good. It's a good jump. Well, I'm about to do a poster on, like, I never thought I would do that, you know what I mean? Because it seems like, I don't know, low-hanging fruit or something like that, you know what I mean? But it seems also at the same time, like... Well, I mean, the thing is, you have you have a following of people, and, like, sometimes it's okay to, like, take on some of the issues that you that you care about and, like, let your audience support it. Like, I think it's, it's I don't know, it kind of seems like we're in a really it's a nice era where artists have an audience that are active and you have that audience. So I think it's, it doesn't feel like low hanging fruit. It just kind of feels like a good discussion to have. I, I, you know, like it's the messaging kind of thing too. Like 
you know, like you don't want to be some kind of weird disaster capitalist or something. Do you know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> shit, you have to fucking say something, man. Nobody's like, uh, I, to be honest, I don't feel like people are like really addressing like what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, like I'll always see like uh, posts saying like, oh, uh, Orange Man bad or like some kind of Trump thing, but like I don't see a lot of art. You know, it's like critically, like actually speaking about stuff. So, I'm so over it. Yeah, I miss, uh, I miss, just, just something that's not. <laughs> it's not happening right now. <laughs> just anything else. I think the issue that we're all having is that. The first wave of things that were canceled, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now we're on like the third wave of things that are being canceled or postponed or just forever forgotten. And that's when it starts feeling never ending. Yeah. Like you can open up your state, you can open up your country, but like it doesn't feel good. I keep see, hearing these things where like, oh, there, some, some restaurants will open up in bowling alleys, but there'll be restrictions. And you're like, well, so they shouldn't be open? Like what what are you like what are you talking about? We're gonna open them up so you can look at them? I don't understand. It is. It very much is. Uh so that's our that's our little moan out of the way. Yeah, it's our moan. No, you know, I think as we we've we've done a really good job, I think, of doing the podcast and keeping it in a sort of sense of like, hey, um, we're coming back. <laughs> you know, we're just on pause. Now it's kind of like no we're kind of <laughs> This is kind of it. This is it. I hope you like this format because <laughs> this is what you're getting. You know, I think the last two weeks we've we've really had the perfect two artists. One being an artist that was focused on climate change and almost thinking of it positively in a way, like the the progress we have made. And then this week it's gonna we're going we're going right into it. <laughs> we're going into some darkness. I don't know if this is just like I think I need the darkness. I, I think too. I need it there. I think I just need to kind of like explore that space in my head and let it come in and then kind of process it and then, I don't know, let it out some way. You know what's funny about Cleon too is that I was thinking about this looking back at like when I did the cover story with him, I think it was almost six years ago now, a little six, seven years ago. It was like metaphorical kind of darkness. Now it's like literal white house trump like it is so literal like i don't like you i don't like what you're doing you are now the metaphor come to life i can use you as a figure and here we are you know it's like so funny how he went so much more like i don't need the metaphor anymore like we're going right at him the layer just kind of got taken back how's the juxtaposed summer 2020 issue looking because you're kind of close to the deadline now yeah we actually we finished on friday um amazingly uh we've it's been pretty seamless all things considered i mean i think every artist at first like who was supposed to be in the issue was kind of like i don't you know i don't know if i can get a photo taken i don't know if i can do this i can know but i think after a while everybody sort of adapted and, and found ways to make it happen but uh it's funny how half the magazine was made before the pandemic and half after how even though it doesn't really like your interview with felipe i think we talked about this like it fits perfectly because he's talking about these new ways to look at art and these technologies that we're going to probably implement now more commonly just to kind of, you know, get art, right, that, might, the art right, experience that. might be different. That's so fitting. How did you do photo shoots actually for the for the magazine? Did you just send Ian Cox around in a, in a hazmat suit? 
No, you know, to, to be honest, uh, most of them were shot beforehand, except for a couple where like their studio partner or their partner in life took the photo for them. And they actually came out really nice too. It was like a very like, oh shit, is this gonna work? But it ended up working really nicely. People have nice cameras, you know, so you can take nice photos. Thank God. Ian Cox must be protected at all costs. Actually, that'd be amazing if we can get Ian in a hazmat suit, just going around <laughs> taking portraits. Okay, so I think the theme of the magazine, this issue is just being being creative by yourself. I think that's kind of the theme. It was almost accidental, but it kind of came out that way. Um, I think everybody's stories kind of just, just started turning into that. I think that's where the kind of the mindset is for sure. For sure. And, and you know, the thing is, what's, what's interesting is that there's some heavy hitters in this issue. Like, you know, there's... Who can we expect? Well, yeah, Carlo McCormick did a really great interview with Jose Parla. It's such a good interview and such a beautiful introduction about Jose. Uh, and then Carlo also wrote a really great piece about like New York and the quiet. It's really, really great. We kind of did a nice condensed conversation with you and Felipe. I think it's going to be really, really strong. I, I'm really happy with my feature with Kelly Beeman. i um, really excited about that one. She's great. Yeah, I think those are some good teas. I think there's some good stuff. But the Jose Parla one is just like excellent. I'm really excited. Yeah. Who's your cover? I'm not telling you right now. I'm not saying on the podcast yet. Maybe in a couple weeks. I tell you what, this could be like a little treat for the early listeners for the people that are in the first 24 hours let's do give us a cryptic clue as to who could be on the cover of the 2020 summer juxtapose magazine the artist on the cover um was making work about domestic life and kind of being stuck with your family and she made a really a really 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 nice uh brand new watercolor painting that was not specifically made for the cover and not specifically made for the pandemic but fit the mood perfectly excellent there's a chance that i did the cover story (laughs) (laughs) 